0: Welcome to the Open Door Podcast. My name is Yame Mensa. I also respond to Aqua and Ikya. I'm a certified executive and leadership coach, recognized facilitator, and former startup leader that loves supporting reluctant, firefighting, and overwhelmed leaders. I work with them to help them clarify where they should focus their time and energy each and every day, so that they can love themselves, love their work, and ultimately love their life. If you're looking to learn leadership information and hear different perspectives, you are in the right place. My aim in this podcast is to help you see that one of the most productive and profitable things you can do is deeply understand yourself, understand how you show up, understand how you thrive, and then allow yourself to align everything in your work, in your life, and in your business to support that. Think of this podcast as your weekly opportunity to receive leadership support. And remember, there is no one right way to lead yourself or others. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Open Door Conversations podcast. I am so excited about this interview that I'm sharing with you this week. It is such an important topic, and I know that my relationship with this topic has truly evolved, so I'm so excited to be interviewing someone that I think has such an amazing background and has such a unique way about talking about bias, about talking about white supremacy, and talking about discrimination. So if you're interested in taking a second to reflect on how you should show up, why you show up the way you do, and you're also open to questioning whether or not it's serving you, this is the podcast episode for you. All right. So today I am so excited because I am joined by the amazing Shiva Rufe, and we're going to be talking all about white supremacy, leadership, and cultural intelligence. Shiva, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I love the enthusiasm. Honestly, every single time I record an episode, I'm so excited. I know we're going to have such a great conversation because we have such long, deep conversations (laughs) outside of this podcast. Mm -hmm. So many. So for people that are joining us and maybe meeting you
1: for the first time, could you please share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I really don't like titles, but if we had to give me a title, it would be a cultural intelligence specialist, leadership specialist. I've worked in the field for 10, 15 years. And I say 10, 15 years, like people are like, don't you know how long you've worked in this? But sometimes you you work in something without realizing it. And then only after do you have a language for it. So 10 years concretely, 15 years, you know, that extra five years is building up into it. And my personal life has, has really flavored and driven me to, to what I do. So I, I was born in Iran um, during the Iran-Iraq War, born to a, a Muslim uh, mother and a Jewish father. We left Iran as refugees when I was four years old, lived as refugees in Italy for a year, and, and then moved to, to New York City, which is where I grew up, and in Queens, New York. And I'm always proud of that fact because it's the most diverse <laughs> urban area in the world. And growing up in New York is great. It's, you know, you you realize that you're not alone. You realize that so many other people have the same reality as you. And I think I didn't really even understand what the United States really was until I left New York and I went to university um, in Western Massachusetts. And my first day of university was September 1st, 2000, 2001. So I went to sleep as a New Yorker and I woke up as a um, Iranian Muslim potential terrorist. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, my identity changed overnight, and not necessarily for myself, but for others and how they viewed me. And the next three years was hell, to be perfectly honest. And I realized, I remember thinking at that point, holy crap, this is, this is what Black people feel all their lives in the United States. This is what people who are very visibly not white feel all their lives in the United States. I'm white passing. Like you look at me, I'm pale skin, I'm very light skinned for, for Middle Eastern, I've got green eyes. Um, and, and, you know, I just don't, I'd never experienced that level of racism before. Um, uh, and I couldn't handle it. So like three years in, I'm like, I'm done with this shit. I don't know how other people have dealt with this. I'm out of here. So I left the United States. I finished my university in the UK. Um, and for the first time in my life, I felt like I was welcomed the first time in my life. People actually asked me about my experience as a refugee, that they didn't shy away from, away from that. They weren't scared of it. Um, and it was very weird to be an Iranian and feel at home in the UK because the world thinks that we don't like the United States, but it's, you know, it's really the UK that we blame for the current regime that we have. So that that was another point that got me thinking of why is it that I feel comfortable here? And I didn't feel that, that at home in the United States or in, in my Persian culture. And I mean, that was the kind of start of it. So I, I lived a year in the UK, I realized I don't want to go back to the United States. And... I had to go back because of visa reasons, but then I spent the next year just like scheming to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> I came to Spain um about 14 years ago now. And everyone always asks me why did you pick Spain? And mm-hmm. the answer is because it was the easiest country to be illegal at the time. Um so with the US passport, it was really tough to, to get any sort of visa. in in Europe because of reciprocity because it's so freaking hard to get visas in the United States. And yeah, and and I've been here since. And now I'm, I'm, I am a a permanent resident. I have residency. I am legal here. Um, But that was, that was another kind of major experience that led me to to the work that I do. So
0: tell us a little bit about the work that you do and sort of how you bring in your experience and, and the diverse cultures you've had an opportunity to be in.
1: Mm. So, my work started in cultural intelligence, and it was the kind of thing where the first time I read about it, I was like, "Holy shit, my entire life now makes sense. It was so deeply powerful for me, and I knew I want to do this. I want to start helping other people realize this, not just folks who are who are very global and international like myself, but anyone who's just anyone. I mean, it's, there's an entire hidden world that's that's going on with humans that we just don't see. And and cultural intelligence kind of shines a light on that. It gives you some tools to understand that better. So a lot of my work is that. It's helping people understand first their own culture, what that cultural programming is, is what they inherited yes. from their families, from their societies, um, even at work. So leaders, and, and we've talked about this before, we all grew up with a leadership culture. Right. So you're the first leaders that you were exposed to. If they were micromanagers, you're going to think that that's the way to be a leader. If they were constantly coaching you, you're going to think that's the way to be a leader, but we don't realize this, right? These are the hidden legacies that are passed down to us. Um, and that, that's also the heart of cultural intelligence. So the work I do blends both of that. It's understanding the secret stories that we have, the hidden expectations that we have, the kind of big assumptions that we're living and leading by that we have no freaking idea that we're operating by.
0: I love that. And I love how you expose that through your content as well. So one of my favorite pieces of content that you've shared recently, and I'll actually make sure that we actually tag this in the show notes because I think it's such a powerful mind reframe on how we show up and what we consider to be right and wrong potentially, was around Hmm. how we acknowledge or sort of recognize others, right? So it was all about the love languages of Immigrant parents. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and sort of how how you came to to put together this piece of content?
1: Yes. So, I mean, that was completely from, from my life. And I wrote that piece when I was back in the United States this winter visiting my parents. That was the first time after COVID. So, it's been a couple of years. I had gotten deeper and deeper into my own programming and understanding where things were coming from. And I'm sitting there and I'm there with my parents for about two weeks. And so much shit is happening that is pissing me off, (laughs) like so many frustrations. Um, And part of me is constantly thinking, like, why can't my parents just be freaking normal? Mm -hmm. Why can't they just be like everybody else? And then I realized, hold on, though, like when I'm saying, why can't they be like everybody else? What am I really saying there? What is the standard that I'm comparing them to? And I realized I'm comparing them to like this ideal image of North American parents, With the you know a house and a picket fence where everyone eats dinner together and everyone has conversations openly and whatever and I'm like well why the hell have I decided that's the standard number one Um, that's you know it's it's it always seems like a lovely kind of context and, and life to have but it's not really very realistic so you know what value can I take for what I'm actually living versus the standard that I've been that I've bought into that is even mine and. I started to realize, all right, you know what? My parents—they don't really understand the concept of unconditional love, and that's something else that's very Western. This mm-hmm. idea of unconditional love, because there's that privilege to be able to have unconditional love, right? There's a lot more safety and security, so you you don't you don't have to worry about the the future of of uh, of your family. Whereas the rest of the world, and immigrants included, it's about freaking survival. And with survival, it's really tough to have unconditional love. You have to almost set conditions of success and performance. And you have to be a straight A student because that's the only opportunity that we have. Mm-hmm. This is the best way I can take care of you is to make sure that you know how to play the game in this country and can succeed at it. And education is the tool to do that. So if you get an, an A, I'm going to ask you why the hell you didn't get an A plus, even if an A plus doesn't exist. And I don't necessarily agree with this, but I might treat you differently if you're not, if you're not performing to that. But why am I doing that? Right. Like questioning why are my parents doing that and realizing it's ultimately because this is what they feel is the, is the best way they can train me to succeed in life. And like, if I bring that even down to minute shit, like, why are my parents acting in this way? Like someone died in our family recently, not recent, a few years ago, and, and they didn't tell us anything. Right. It took my parents two months to tell me that this family member passed away. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, why, why did you call me? You know, Mm -hmm. and then realizing they kept it for me. So I wouldn't worry. I was going through a time in my life that was tough. I just moved out of the country. Um, I didn't really know anybody. They didn't want me to have that news while I was alone. So it's, yeah, I would love to point to have that kind of family where everything is open communication, but my parents aren't wired that way. They're just wired in a different way. They, they focus on different things. It's protecting me that is more important than open communication with me. So it's it's a completely different love language. It's a completely different value system that's going to lead to different ways of showing up and showing that love. And that was my word vomit word, word on that. I
0: love it. No, I absolutely love it. And I really would recommend anyone who's listening to this to make sure to check out that piece of content. Like I said, I'll make sure that I include it in the show notes because it really, I think, does a good job of of helping you think sort of beyond some of these expectations and assumptions that we make. And I think this is actually a really good segue to talk a little bit about white supremacy because I do think this this concept or this topic of white supremacy even comes into our mm-hmm. expectations, how we should recognize people, how we should acknowledge people, what's right and what's wrong. So can you tell us from our, your perspective what is white supremacy and why do you think it's an important concept that leaders everywhere in the world should keep in mind?
1: Great question. So first I know that the term white supremacy is extremely triggering, yes. and I know that the first time I I was starting to kind of grapple with it, it scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I Damn. I don't I right yeah. Like I don't <laughs> I don't want to enter this like this this is just for the KKK this is for extremist organizations mm-hmm. and because it you know this was after George Floyd and and everyone talking about white supremacy and and me being really triggered by it my kind of process is always all right if I'm triggered by something it means I need to explore it. It means that maybe I'm not understanding it. And so as I explored more, I realized, actually, I am not, this is not something unfamiliar to me. I had just been thinking about it a different way, right? Um, so for me, white supremacy is, it connects back to cultural intelligence for me personally. Again, that's the lens I come in with. And when we teach cultural intelligence, we talk about different culture codes. So, and by codes, we mean just like values. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of communication, that could be, do we value more direct communication or indirect communication? When we talk about identity, are we thinking of identity as being individualist or is it collectivist? Um, when we think about time, is it that like time is money and, you know, we have to really manage our time or is it that time is fluid and like there's no start and end to time. And time is really just what you do with it and the relationships that you have. So there's all these different cultural codes and values. And I realized that every time I was delivering this content, the participants, all the students would would come back with the same kind of ideas and answers of, but which one's better? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's neither one is better, right? Their extremes are never good but we need to learn to balance both. Even after I pushed back with that, there was still the, yeah, but I think direct communication is better. Mm. I think that individualism is better. I think that 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 strict concept of time is better. And this was coming from folks who are European and not European, right? Like European and North American, but also the rest of the world. And I realized, don't you all realize what you're saying is that all of the cultural values of the West is better. Mm -hmm. That's literally what we're saying. Because it's direct communication is stronger in the West. Uh, The strict concept of time is stronger in the West. Uh, Individualism is stronger in the West. And you're literally telling me that you think that those Western values and ways of being are better, that they're superior. And that's when I realized, well, no, this is what this is what white supremacy is. Mm -hmm. Right? So when we're talking about white supremacy, what we're really just saying is that we've decided collectively that the value system and the ways of being and doing and seeing and living of Northern Europe. Uh, not North, North America and Europe are better than that of the rest of the world. And when I realized that that's what white supremacy is, I was able to say, oh, yeah, okay, in that sense, I'm definitely a white supremacist, right? Or I was. I was very much into, like, I can't handle when people write long-ass emails. Why can't they just answer the, di- the question directly? Like this massive, like, sense of urgency all the time. Um, all of these different things that were just seen as the, the, the right way to be specifically in North America and Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pause there. See, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say or ask about that. No, just you really, thank like, you so much for,
0: yeah. I think, I mean, I'm lots of nodding, right? Unfortunately, this is not a video <laughs> podcast, but just lots of nodding. And I, I just really appreciate the way in which you've defined it and also how you're talking about your own journey with that word, because I know it's also something that, I had a lot of issues with and I think that because of where I've decided to live, so I live in a place where I'm around predominantly people who are uh, black, right and mm-hmm. are African. But yet, like you said, this mindset, it's not about skin color, right It's really about exactly what are the assumptions we're making? what is this, perspective that we've decided to hold and how did we get them to this conclusion, right? It's that filter, right? So depending on, you know, depending on the type of coaching or training you do, or even the type of leadership you practice, right? At the end of the day, it's like this, this idea of what are these, these filters we're using to make decisions. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely can see, right? Even with people who are not white, right, or who would not identify as being white or would not be, you know, um, you know, sort of resonate with that, having some of these perspectives. Um, And I guess a part of it would be, hey, maybe people don't have the time and space or privilege to reflect on it. But I always love to encourage people, too, because it has such a in some spaces, I would say a negative impact on the way in which Mm -hmm. they're showing up, how they feel about themselves more importantly. Yes. Um, yes, So just thank you so much for for really sharing that. And I think a lot of what you shared about your journey and your own relationship to the word, I think very much resonates with me and I'm sure resonates with a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are going to listen to this.
1: There's one other thing I want to say that, which was you made a really good point of like you can resonate with that as well. Even living in a place where it's predominantly black, it's not Correct. white, right? And and this was a question that I had as well. Is like okay, so is this something I'm really going to see in North America and Europe? Which where it makes sense to because of course you're going to be you're going to think that your values are the right values, right? Not that that's true or not, but every country and culture is going to think that way. So I was like, is it is it is it only valid in North America and Europe? And I realized. Not so much because the clients I'm dealing with around the world. Yeah, there's definitely differences, but at the same time, because of multinationals and because of the amount of multinationals that come from the, from North America and from Europe around the world, that, that culture is being kind of exported everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when you have cultures that are, or not cultures, but countries that are economically less stable, uh, politically less stable, a lot of folks are going to be looking for jobs and organizations that are stable. They're looking for jobs and organizations that will pay higher, that have more standardization, uh, that have more resources. This is not true across the board, but a lot of people see those those kinds of organizations being the multinationals that come from North America and Europe. And so you know, you're you kind of almost driven because of the need for stability and security into these organizations. But then those organizations are you know, directly and indirectly just training you in their ways. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's the same thing with uh, with with TV series. I mean, like Netflix, yes. as much as I love it, it's doing a lot of fucking damage around the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, once again, right, those are things that are going to add to that, once again, that filter that we all have as human beings, right? Um, and that's why I think it's so, so important that, you know, when we do feel like we have the time and space to really reflect on, okay, wait. Why? Absolutely. Why is that important? Why have exactly. I decided that you know I want to show yes. up this way, or I have to wake up at five a.m. and mm-hmm. journal and meditate and do <laughs> yes. X, Y, and Z before I'm able to eat X, Y, and Z? And as someone yes. who focuses a lot on productivity, if you're listening to this, it might sound. Slightly weird, but I am very anti-productivity. Even though I do productivity coaching, um, you'd have yes. to work with me to understand it. But it's there's there's a lot there, right? So where is all of this coming from? And ultimately, right? How do we feel, right? It, it really needs to come back to what works for you and recognizing that what works for one person is not going to work for everyone. Um, but with that, you know being said, recognizing that not what works for one person works for everyone, I still think it's very helpful to hear what works for other people. So yes. Shiva, I'd love to hear you know your perspective or some of the things that maybe you've done to think through you know white supremacy and sort of work through that. What are some mm-hmm. of the things? I have some ideas of what you've done as well that <laughs> I always love to share with with my audience. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the things that you've done to sort of break down some of these expectations and assumptions that people make and force them to rethink how they're showing
1: up? Mm. So you mean, what have I done on myself and what have I done on others? It could others? be either or, yeah. So I, I mean, I always, I make sure that whatever I'm asking others to do, I, I've done first. So what's worked with me and then what I pass on is um, like the at the most granular level, it's that questioning of why am I doing it this way? Why am I thinking this is the best way to do things? Noticing my own surprise at things. So really being aware of how other people are showing up and then noticing when I'm surprised about how they're showing up, because that just shows hidden, hidden expectations that yes. I've had around, you know, how things should be or shouldn't be or what's right and wrong and good and bad. Um, and like a really concrete example of that is. I've met a lot of people in my life who I'm like, oh my God, you're an amazing leader. Like you, they're not a a leader though. They're an individual contributor, right? They're Mm -hmm. a technical person or an individual contributor. I'm like, you should get into leadership. You would kick ass like, holy shit, you should get in there. And they resisted. They're like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And I never understood it. Never understood it. I was like, but why wouldn't you want to be a leader? And then one day, I don't know if it's someone who called me out on it or I had the thought myself where I paused and I went, Wait, why do I think that they need to be a leader? Why? Why have I decided that that's that's the only path that needs to happen, right? And why have I also decided that everyone should want to be a leader to begin with? And what the hell is a leader? What does that even mean, right? And then from there, that was almost like that was Pandora's box as well of going, yeah. Why do I think that everyone needs to be working to become a leader in mm-hmm. an organization that they're not even owner of? And so. Like, all I'm doing is asking people to work harder to make somebody else rich. Mm-hmm. And why am I doing that? And then that opened up the box of, um, well, capitalism, of understanding what that really is, of understanding how capitalist culture combined with white supremacy culture, or just, you know, the values that we've decided to, to say are the right ones, leading us to overworking, to productivity, to always to to create something, to produce something, to be visible, and so on, right? And some of the stuff I've been doing to lean out of that, which I think, I think you've seen like my, my out of office response. Yes.
0: I love that. (laughs) Can you please share with everyone what that is? I always (laughs) love to screenshot it and share it with the world because to me, this is Shiva living her values and sharing it with the world and forcing people to really reflect on how they're showing up because you get this autoresponder and then you really are like, wait a second. (laughs) How do I need to show up? I love it. Yeah. So please share a little bit more about it.
1: Sure. So this happened over the summer. I had realized I'd overworked myself and I'm like, I can't do this. I need to really take time off. And so I took you a know, proper holiday, but then I'm like, I really don't want to go back to the same pace as I was working in before. And also if I'm questioning this whole thing of productivity, this whole thing, of my value this whole thing of capitalism, do I even need to work that much? So it started off as an experiment of, I'm not going to work on Fridays. Right. At least during the summer, I'm just not going to work on Fridays. I'm not going to say anything either because most people are away. Like things are quiet anyway. No one's going to notice. And I noticed, yeah, nobody nobody does notice. Like nobody had a freaking clue I was taking Fridays off. And if they, you know, expected an answer immediately, they just waited and got it when I, you know, Monday when I came to the office and nothing happened. Right. Like nothing exploded. And then I thought, all right, so I've already proven myself kind of wrong that the world expects me to show up 24-7. Yes. How can I take this further? And I thought, all right, I'm going to put this out of office that's going to say, you know, hello, human. Um, and I don't remember the exact wording, but it's just basically saying I'm trying to live into a new way of being a human, mm-hmm. which means not being a robot, which means not getting all the things done. Um, and it means, you know, equity for, for. Um, for, for minorities, myself, considering myself a minority. And what that looks like is uh, less time on emails, less time in meetings, um, not working on Fridays, working from 10 in the morning until six o'clock in the afternoon, Monday, mm-hmm. and Thursdays. That means that, and all of this is ultimately for quality instead of quantity, right? Like, screw the busy work. I don't really need to be in all these emails. I really don't need to be in all these meetings. Where do I really need to put my attention on? And then kind of an invitation at the end of, um, you know, there's going to be some glitches. I'm kind of new to being human. So please have some patience with me and feel free to join me. And the response is amazing. Like your responses is, 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 is typical of, of what I get Love back it. from people. Yeah. Like take people taking screenshots, people sending me WhatsApp saying, I shared this with my friends. Like <laughs> someone even once wrote back, um, I wrote them something and I got an auto response out. I've been recently inspired by so. I love that. You're starting a movement. Yes. I hope so. And you know what the best part is? Nothing freaking happened. Like the world did not go to hell. My clients are still there. They And, you, and, I, and they actually come back to me and say, oops, I realized uh, you don't work on Fridays. I'm sorry for that. We'll hear from you on Monday. Or the other way around, they're like, I know your time is really sacred. I know that you, you know, you're, like, you're putting boundaries on the time. I know I'm asking you for something that's outside those boundaries. And I want to check in if it's okay, if it's possible. Um, and I completely understand if it's not. Whereas before, they would have just thrown that freaking thing into my calendar without even.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like I said, once again, just really living your values and really showing everyone who engaged with you that there's, there's another way, right? There's not one exactly. right
1: way. Absolutely not. And and it, it's what works for you and you can change it. You know, like I'm exploring now, how can I work four hours a day? Ooh. Yeah, I know. Okay. Right? I'm looking forward to hearing the results of this. Yes. So look like in September, come back in September. That's why I'm, I'm planning to, to try to live into that. Okay. Yep, I love that. But I also have to say, I mean, it's, I'm saying this from a place of privilege, right? I'm, I've been able to, to create the economic stability for myself to do that. Um, so this is going to look different for everybody, but it is just about exploring what are other ways of being and then testing those, gradually testing those and seeing if they do work.
0: I think that's really it. So being open, like you said, to experimenting, this was an experiment and you realized it had not only a positive impact on yourself, but others. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing sort of the results of that one experiment. Um, last question for you. What are you looking forward to? So beyond only working four hours each weekday,
1: what are you looking forward to? Ooh, that's a great question. And you know what? Living into my values, because if you asked me this a couple of years ago, I would have answered only with work. Right? I am looking forward to launch this. I'm looking forward to <clears throat> have this impact in my work and expand in this way and do that and whatever. Beyond this stage, do that thing. And now... <laughs> I want to live into, you know, as a human being, what am I looking forward to? So um, I'm looking forward to applying to my citizenship, Spanish citizenship. Yeah, yes. yep. it'll be <clears throat> 15 years this summer. And um, for me, a passport is like an insurance policy. It's what I've wanted all my life is multiple passports. So looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to... September, when I can reevaluate my life, or when I've decided I want to reevaluate my life and slow down and see how another way of living and being could look like. Um and I'm excited, ooh, what else am I excited for? I like I like threes, which is like, what's the third thing I'm gonna put? Um and I'm excited for actually, you know what? I can't even think of something for work. The other thing I'm excited about is in, in a year, my partner and I are gonna reach five years and it's the best relationship I've ever had in my life. Yes. One of the most, yep. One of the most culturally kind of dynamic and different relationships I've had. And every day I'm learning to be another person by living with this other human. So always looking forward to that.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Shiva. I mean, we can talk for years. I know we can, <laughs> <laughs> but we're coming up on the 30 minutes. So
1: where can people find out more about you online? The best way is my, my LinkedIn or my Instagram. And you can find me with my full name, Shiva Rufa. I post every day. I post about everything that we've talked about and more. Um, sometimes you'll find the wording a little bit you know, hidden just because the algorithms don't like things like white supremacy and racism. So, um, But the messages are there. So find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. And you can also check out my website at shivarufa.com.
0: Amazing. We'll make sure all of those are linked in the show notes but thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, uh, you know, just for showing up as yourself. I feel like every time I have a conversation, every time I engage with your content, I learn something about myself and I learn something about how I can do things differently. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity. Like you said, we can talk for hours and you're one of the few people I can really have this kind of conversation with. So thank you for that space.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with your friends. We can continue this conversation on social media. The links to my socials, so that is LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find them in the show notes. If you tag me in a story and include the hashtag, hashtag Ask I will share a special little gift with you. Thank you so much once again for your time, and I cannot wait to share my next episode with you stay safe and sane